0: you ever feel like you have a thousand voices all trying to get your attention at the same time or is that just me because I have six kids in my house Maybe like your kids are tugging on your pants like daddy 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 I had four five of our six kids were sick this week and my wife was sick yeah and so I had a lot of voices coming at me I had a voice of the sick kids saying daddy help and then I had a voice of the kids who are not sick anymore saying daddy let's go outside Maybe that was my voice saying, go outside. I can't remember. (laughs) I had the voice in my head that was saying, don't touch them. Don't get sick. Don't get sick. Don't get sick. I had the voice of my doctor saying, don't touch them. Don't get sick. Wash your hands. Drink this weird tea. Boost your immune system. Don't get sick. I had a voice in my head saying, don't get behind at work. I had a voice saying, you should wake up at three in the morning and make sure you're on top of things so that if you get sick, you're okay. I had a voice saying, who's going to preach if I start throwing up on Sunday morning? (laughs) And all of these voices, all of these thoughts, whether they're audible voices or my own internal voice, they're all trying to tug my life in this direction and that direction and draw my heart into things. I look around the house and think, man, this place is trashed. If Jessica wakes up for her unconsciousness and sees this, I'm in trouble. i got to look like I know what I'm doing around here. And all these emotions, all these thoughts, all these feelings just bombarded me. Have you ever felt like that? Kind of felt like when you go to Times Square... Or you go to London, you go to Piccadilly Circus, or you go to Vegas, right? And everyone's trying to get your attention all the billboards, the lights, the people trying to like hand you all these flyers. Come in here, come in here. Hey, have you eaten dinner yet? Hey, come on to this restaurant. Check this out. Hey, we got a special today. Sometimes it feels like life is thousands of people who all want something from us at the same time. Last week, we started this series talking about the fact that in our faith, there are all these people who feel like they know how we should walk with Jesus. They have opinions about what we should believe and what we should do and not do and who we should be with and who we shouldn't be with and what types of activities we should partake in and all these voices get so confusing that the book of 1 John says, I am a voice that is trustworthy, you can listen to me. Listen to me, listen to me. Last week we talked about John saying, follow me down the path, follow me, follow me. I am a mentor for life that can be trusted. So this morning as we kind of dive into this series and start to sit under the mentorship of John, we encounter the first advice that John, our mentor, gives to us regarding how we should best live life on this planet. I want you to imagine this morning, and even for these next seven weeks as we continue in the series, that you've kind of came into the Apostle John's office, in a sense. Maybe he's your counselor. Maybe he's your boss. Maybe he's your mentor. He's someone you look up to, and you've said, listen, my life's a mess. I hear all these voices, all these people telling me what to do. I want to know what to do, how to maximize my life on this planet. And John says, all right, I will train you. I will disciple you. I will mentor you. You just have to do what I say and trust me. Do you trust me? You say, yeah, I trust you. So John opens his mouth, and the first piece of advice that he gives us as our mentor is this, five words, do not love the world. I don't know about you, but if I was sitting in John's office, if he had an office, and he said, Danny, here's what you need to know, don't love the world, that would kind of go in one ear and out the other, and I say, John, did you not hear what I was just saying? Describing to you, I have all these voices coming at me and all these people who want my attention, and I don't know which way to turn, and I just want to give my life to Jesus and follow after him. And John repeats, Do not love the world. I'd start to think, Does this guy really know what he's talking about? Does he really know what I deal with? Because this does not seem like the advice that I need right now. As I thought about this this week, it reminded me of that old movie from the 80s, The Karate Kid. Have you seen that movie? This, if you haven't seen it, you should. I think it's good. It's been a while. This kid decides that he wants to learn karate. Yeah, you've read the title. And so he goes to this mentor figure, Mr. Miyagi, and he says, I want to learn karate. And Mr. Miyagi does not teach him how to kick, doesn't teach him how to punch, doesn't teach him how to like whatever you do in karate. He tells him to what? Paint the fence. Tells him to sand the floor. And Daniel's son is like, what? I want to learn karate. You got me doing housework for you. Why do I need to paint the fence? Why do I need to sand the floor? And as the movie continues, you start to realize that all of this training, even though it seemed totally disconnected from the end goal, was training that Mr. Miyagi had specifically set out so that he would be equipped to fight. So I think if we're going to accept the Apostle John as our mentor— We need to realize that when he tells us, do not love the world, it's not some out-of-left-field advice. It is not something that is unrelated to our journey down the road that leads to life. It is the critical first step we need to understand if we will be equipped to walk on a path with Jesus. So this morning, we're going to wrestle with together what he meant and why it matters and where it affects us. That we need to release our love from this thing John calls the world. It's interesting, in, in the book of John, chapter 3, the most famous verse, John three sixteen, starts with this. God so loved the world. And now in 1 John, chapter 2, John says, the most important piece of advice, don't be like God, who loved the world. You don't love the world. It's important for us to realize what John meant when he talked about the world, and to understand when John talks about God loving the world, God loves the world with a redemptive love. And yet we are tempted to love the world with a participatory love. And it's important for us to know when John talks about the world, here's the working definition that I'll give for us. John defines the world as the realm over which God does not reign. This is from a theologian named D.A. Carson. I had a class with him on 1 John. He said, the world, according to John, is any realm in which God does not reign. So if you are a student of Christianity, you will probably be saying, "Eh." God reigns over everything. There is no realm over which God does not reign. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The heavens and the earth, all of the seas are all under the dominion and power of God. You're right, you're right. And yet at the same time, there are places in our existence where Jesus Christ is not explicitly known as the head. And that's what John is talking about when he talks about the world. And for example, if you came to me and you said, Danny, this is all really good advice. I, I love what we hear at this church, and it really works in my small group and with my Christian friends. But, but this advice you give me at church, it doesn't really work in the real world. Right? You can say that. And if you say that, you're recognizing that there's a Christian world where Jesus is in charge, and then there's the world you go to at work every day. And there's the world that you go to when you hang out with your friends. And there's the world you go to that no one else in the, the world seems to understand what you do here at church. There's a world where God's in charge and then there's the real world, we call it. Where, yeah, God's in charge, but no one seems to know. And no one seems to act like he's sovereign over it all. Now, that's what John's talking about when he talks about the world, the realm over which God does not reign. And you might talk about, well, this isn't how things work in the construction world. Right? Oh, this isn't how it works. I, I come from the fashion world. That's not how we do things. Hey, in the theater world, we do things differently. right? Whatever world you live in, you recognize that we all live in these different realms in this society. And some of these worlds that we live in, Jesus Christ is the most important thing. But many of them, nobody cares at all what Jesus has to say. And maybe that's the world you live in. And sometimes the world relates to our vocation, sometimes the world we live in relates to our identity. Now, you might say, Danny, this works great for you as a man in business, but as a a business woman, I need to navigate the world differently. We live in two different worlds. You might say, Danny, because of the background I come from or the ethnicity that I walk in or the country that I came from, we live in two different worlds even when we walk in the same neighborhood. And that's true. We live in these different worlds. And some of you have a world that you live in based on what you like, right? You You're in the bicycling world with your bike friends, right? Or you're in the fast car world. Maybe you love to live in the fashion world or the shopping world, right? There's these realms that you live in, in this world that we all inhabit. And some of these realms that we navigate life in have Jesus as the head. And some of them are more secular, we'd say. And John says the world is the realm over which God does not reign. So the advice that John gives us here in the second chapter of 1 John is if you want to walk with Jesus, your first step is this. Do not love the world. Now, I think none of us really believe that we do love the world. Right? We might want to just check that box really quickly, but at the same time, if you're like me and you feel the pull from all these different directions, there's a chance that you really do struggle with this. right? If last week you were at church and you said, you know what? I just want to give my whole life to Jesus. It's all about him this week. I'm going to serve him wherever I go. I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to be praying without ceasing. I'm going to read in my Bible all day. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus week. It's like Jesus finals week. All about him, right? Then you go to work. You know, okay, I'm going to think about Jesus today. I'm not going to get bogged down with things at work, right? But as you get into your work day, all of a sudden, people want stuff. Emails are coming in. Stress is happening. Your boss is yelling at you. All of a sudden, your brain starts spinning. And now you're in work world, right? You're spinning and spinning and spinning. And somewhere, at some point in the workday, you realize, oh no, I forgot. I also have a family at home that I need to care for. I need to get home. I need to go and pick up my kids. And so you're thinking about your family world and what's going to happen for dinner and how I'm going to put my kids down. And you're in family world. And as you're thinking about family world, the work world keeps banging on your other shoulder and saying, hey, don't forget. This is due by the end of the day. Don't forget. I need this by the morning. Don't forget. Next Monday, we've got this big meeting. And so your work world is in your head and your family world's in your head. And what tends to happen is that we go to bed and we're laying there and it's dark and we have this convicting feeling that even though you wanted your whole day to be about Jesus, you haven't thought about Jesus once since you stepped into the real world. And John seemed to understand that there are all of these powers in this world vying for our attention, fighting for our hearts, wanting us to care most about them. John says, if you want to start walking with Jesus, you need to learn how to cut off your affection for all these other things that are trying to drag you into the realms under which God, over which God does not reign. He goes so far to say, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Now, I don't think what John means when he says this is that if you have this struggle that you're not a Christian, I think what John tries to do when he brings up this present tense verb, if anyone loves the world, he's trying to paint a picture. It's almost like picture that person who loves the world. Picture that person the person who loves their job more than anything else, the person who loves success, loves to get ahead, loves to be powerful, wants to raise the corporate ladder, whatever it is, picture that person who loves it, right? Or picture that person who just loves to be fashionable and fit and have a good image and be well-liked. Or picture that person who just loves to be rich and loves to have nice things. Picture that person who just loves the world. So that, that person you're picturing, John says, who loves the world? Love for the Father is not in that person. Because what John is trying to to lay out for us is that no human being can have two affections simultaneously. You're either going to love Jesus or you're going to love something other than Jesus. And Jesus had this experience. He had someone who came to him, a rich man, young man. the, The gospel writers Matthew, Mark, and Luke talked about him. They called him the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. He names a few of the Ten Commandments, honor your parents, don't steal, don't lie, you know, that kind of stuff. And the young guy says, well, well, Jesus, I've been doing that since I was a kid. Jesus says, well, then you're good. Oh, except for one thing. It's the big thing. Sell your possessions. Give all your money to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven, and, and then come follow me. And the gospel writer said that the, the young man went away sad, because he was of great wealth. And Jesus takes the opportunity after the man leaves to start teaching about this idea that you can't love two things at one time. He says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He says, I'll tell you the truth, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll love one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. No one can love both God and God. Jesus says, and money. According to Jesus that John walked with, a human being cannot have two simultaneous affections at the same time. And so what that means for us is that if your first love is Jesus, that the longer you live, the more that the things of this world will fade away and the stronger your faith is in Jesus. Yet at the same time, if your primary affection is for something in this world or of this world, that will grow over time and you'll find yourself more and more with Jesus on some back burner until he kind of fades into oblivion because over time your true master will be seen. Either Jesus is the one that you serve or you're serving your own popularity or success or fame or fortune or stuff. This is why John says the first thing you need to understand if you're going to walk with Jesus, is you need to release your grip on the world. John teaches us in this passage two things about the world and the nature of the world that should make this a little easier. He says them both in this little passage here. I'll read them for you. The first thing he says in verse 16 is that everything in the world comes not from the Father, but from the world. It's almost like he's asking, think about the source of these things that you love so deeply where do they come from? Right? You want to be famous. Where does that come from? Right? You want to be successful. Where does that come from? You want to be well-liked. Where does that come from? You want to be fit. You want to be thin more than anything else. Where does that come from? Where do these desires come from? Has God planted these desires in you? No, they come from the world itself. It's like the world is this billboard trying to suck us in with its own stuff, and it's sourced in nothing. He continues after telling us that the source is nothing in verse 17 to say that the world and its desires pass away. It says that these things that we want so badly in the world, they come from nothing and they amount to nothing. In a sense, that new car that you really want so bad or you had to have, the the lifestyle you had to have, the house you had to have, the family you had to have, the wife or the husband you had to have, what will that look like in 50 years, 100 years, 500 years, 500,000 years? It'll be gone. things that we want, we want them so deeply, so badly. We need them right now. But John says they come from nothing. They amount to nothing. And yet something in us has convinced us that we need them so badly. After Easter, we're going to do a series called Your Brain is Trying to Kill You. (laughs) We're going to talk a little bit about some of these things. But John kind of hits the, the tip of the iceberg here where he says, that, you know the source of this? He calls it the lust of the flesh. And whenever I talk about the lust of the flesh up here, I don't know why, but I always like do this. Like, like there's something inside of you like alien or something like trying to come out of you and like get things in this planet. It's like when you go to a, a car lot and you want to go look at cars, you see one, you're like, oh, that seems sensible. And all of a sudden you turn around and you see the car that you pulled up in. You're like, oh, I can't believe I was driving that car. Right? And it starts, right? There's something in you, and you see the car next to it, and it's got a few more features, and it's only a few thousand more dollars. You're like, why would I buy that when I could buy this? So you sit in that car, but then you see the car next to it. You're like, oh, I need that one, I need that one, I need that one. Then you see the Tesla. You're like, well, I mean, if I'm going to spend this much, I might as well spend this much, right? That's an investment, right? And so you uh, as you walk through that process, it's like you're getting deeper and deeper sucked into this thing because there's something in you that wants these things so badly. John says it's called the lust of the flesh. That there's these affections we have for things that don't really matter when we think about it. (laughs) But something in our heart just lusts after them so badly. You ever had a moment where there's some drama going on with your friends or at work, and you just could not stop thinking about it. Like you had to clear your name. You had to clear your name. You talked to everyone about it until your name was cleared. That's the lust of the flesh. There's something in you that won't be satiated until you resolve this thing and your reputation is back where you think that it deserves to be. John says sometimes it's the lust of the eyes, right? You see something and you want it so bad. It's a cheeseburger, <laughs> it's a Tesla that dress, that jacket, that boy, that girlfriend. As John says sometimes it's just the general pride of life. We want to be known as people who've conquered this world, who are successful in this world, who don't need anybody in this world who do what we want in this world, who find money in this world, who find power in this world, who buy the houses we want in this world. We want to be able to take pride in life in the way that we've lived it. He says, that's nothing. That's from the world that amounts to nothing. That's the lust of the flesh. Everything in you wants something that doesn't even matter. This idea of not loving the world or the things in it is especially hard for us who grew up here in America as Christians. Because I think there's part of the American Christian worldview that tells us that Christianity is almost the undercurrent of life. Right? Like Jesus is our foundation, sure. And he's the most important thing, sure. He's the solid rock we stand on, sure. But then what Jesus has put us on this planet for it's to amass wealth for ourselves. It's to buy houses for ourselves. It's to get stuff for ourselves. To make a name for ourselves. It's our manifest destiny, right? It's our American dream. That's why we're on this planet. And yet, if John is right, who says, I walked with Jesus, I talked to Jesus, I touched Jesus, I heard his teaching myself, I think he's right. If John is right... John would come and say the American dream is one of those false voices you cannot listen to because it's lying to you. It's toying with your flesh and the lusts therein, and it's trying to drag you into something that is a cheap imitation of the gospel. John says Jesus is not just the undercurrent or the foundation. He's everything. And all these things in the world that our affections Are drawn towards, that we want so badly, that we think we need, that we think will be fulfilled when we get. (sighs) They're nothing and they're worse than nothing. They come in like a cancer and they destroy our faith and explode it until it's gone. I stumbled upon a book this week called Counterfeit Gods by Timothy Keller and it's a book that, that kind of builds on this idea that came out of the 1500s Christianity where where our hearts are idol factories. Like our hearts are always creating new things for us to worship that are not God. And so how do we deal with this fact that we're always going to want things that are the wrong things for us? So I wanted to read us a few quotes from Keller's book to help us wrestle with what it means to, to not buy into these lies and what it means to truly worship Jesus and Jesus alone. This is what Keller says in Counterfeit Gods. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you, what only God can give you. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that if you lost it, your life would feel hardly worth living. He says beneath the surface of just these tangible things we want, we all kind of have these deep idols within us, so deep motivational idols. He says some people are strongly motivated for a desire of influence and power while others are more excited about approval or appreciation. Some want emotional and physical comfort more than anything else, while still others want security, the control of their environment. People with the deep idol of power do not mind being unpopular to gain influence. People who are most motivated by approval are the opposite. They'll gladly lose power and control as long as everyone thinks well of them. Each deep idol, power, approval, comfort, control, generates a different set of fears and a different set of hopes. Keller says, the secret to change is to identify and dismantle the counterfeit gods of your heart. And Keller says later in the book, the secret to change is the gospel. If the chief end of your life is approval, Keller would say and John would say, to believe in Jesus, you want approval? You can be approved by God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. You could be in a relationship with God where there's no condemnation. He's for you. The guy of the universe is for you. What kind of approval do you need more than that? Does you need control? Do you really want control? Because you're not in control, but God is in control. And if you give your life to him and you let go of the control of your life, he can magnificently craft your life into something that would be glorifying to him and satisfying to you. (laughs) You want power? Jesus said, all power and authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go make disciples. I'll fill you with my spirit. You can transform the world. The greatest power in the universe, the power that created the universe, can dwell in you and transform this world for God's kingdom through you. If you want power, Jesus says, you want comfort? Find comfort under the shadow, the refuge of my wings. Cast your anxiety on me. I care for you. I'm close to the brokenhearted. I will comfort you in your times of distress. And stop seeking after power, approval, comfort, control through the things of this world. When in the gospel, you'll find all the approval you need, all the power you need, all the comfort and control you could ever desire when you find him in the right place. There's a chance that you're listening to this and you're wrestling through all this because you're a believer in Jesus and this is the wrestling match where God is trying to gain more supremacy in your life. Now, there's also a chance that you're listening to this today, and the reason that you're wrestling or not wrestling is because you've never given your heart to Jesus. Or Your heart has been given to your work. Your heart has been given to your family. Your heart has been given to success. Your heart has been given to looking good, and even your Christianity is an effort to look good or be good or be known by others or loved by others. And even your worship of Jesus is in worshiping another idol. Let today, if that is you, be the day where you repel all the other loves and affections and idols in your heart. And you find yourself at the feet of Jesus saying, I just want you. This is why John says that the first step in following Jesus down the road that leads to life is releasing your love of the world and the things in the world. That doesn't mean that your kids are going to keep asking you for stuff. That doesn't mean that you're going to go to work and all of a sudden no one's going to want anything from you anymore. Right? And this doesn't mean that if Jesus is your only love, that you should go to work with earplugs in. Right? Or if your boss says, hey, I need something from you. Be like, you know what? Jesus is my only master. Right? <laughs> I don't think that's what God calls you to do. You can try that. John, when he says there's so many voices coming at you, he doesn't say Stop listening. He says, stop loving, not stop loving your kids, not stop loving the people at your work. But he says, there's a chance that the reason that you're so emotionally affected by all these things is because your loves are out of whack. And there's a chance that the reason that you wanna please your boss so badly is because you have misaligned affections. There's a chance that the reason you wanna show your kids that you love them so much is not really because you love them so much, because you wanna be one of those people who looks like they love their kids. And the truth is, if your love is primarily and exclusively for Jesus, you're actually going to love your kids better. You're actually going to love your boss better. You're actually going to love and serve your coworkers better because you won't be doing it out of mixed motives. You'll be doing that out of pure motives. You're not trying to gain their affections. You're not trying to gain their approval. You're not trying to gain power. You don't want control. You don't need comfort. These things are coming out of the overflow of a heart that's been given to Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus talks about some of the things in this world that we truly need, right? Food to survive, clothes to wear so we don't starve to death, so we don't freeze to death in the elements. He says, listen, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. Like Jesus is saying, make your chief affection the God of the universe. Make your chief focus and desire. Give your heart to him and him alone and all these other things that you think you need and some of these things that you truly do need. As you focus your heart on Jesus, these things will come together in the right order. Stop chasing all these other affections. Stop wrestling for all these things that don't deserve your affection. They come from nothing. They lead to nothing. Give your heart to Christ him alone, and cultivate a relationship with him where he is the only thing that matters, trusting that everything else in this world that you need to do, have a job, have kids, all those things, that they'll fall into place as you make Jesus your chief pursuit. This morning we have a special treat. We get to hear some words from someone who is with Jesus right now. Over this last month, we've done this documentary series on the history of our church, and one of the things that we encountered was a letter that was written by a woman named Muzzy, who led our port call ministry in the 40s and 50s. And Muzzy wrote this letter before she passed away and said, after I die, send this out. Tell the church my perspective about life and how to live it well, but don't let them read it until I'm dead. And so as we're preparing for this series, we find this letter from Muzzy, and it's a beautiful depiction of what life looks like when our singular focus is Jesus. And so I want this letter to minister to you. Janice is gonna come and read this to us. And so listen to these words from Muzzy written to us, this church, to be passed out after her death 70 years ago. This is
1: Muzzy's words. Dear friends, at last I am home. You know that I have talked about sung about and preached about this home, and finally it has arrived. I have been able to say I'm saved, 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 but now I can say I'm safe, safe, safe. I wanted to write this letter to you and have it all ready so when I go home to Jesus, it could just be mimeographed and sent out. When you get this letter, I will be looking at Jesus. Just think of it. I will be standing, looking at him. Of course, I don't know what I will say, but I kind of think I will say to him, I love you. Another reason I want to write this letter is because I want to tell each one of you, don't miss the road. I have lived such an exciting, adventurous, and satisfying life, and I have come to the close of it as more satisfactory than ever. The things that Jesus does for you are so far beyond anything we can dream of. I do praise his holy name this afternoon for the magnificent way in which he has taken care of me. And when you receive this, I will be standing in the likeness of Christ. Just the thought of that sends goosebumps up my back and wants me to have a little glory hallelujah meeting right here in the hospital room. But you know, as you live, there are so many things to pull you off the track and so many temptations along the road that I want to write this letter to tell you, be not deceived and don't miss the road. Now, there is much to be done for Jesus. And while you are living, that is your opportunity. There are thousands of souls to be won for him. And he is depending upon each one of you. As I stand here and look at him, how I wish I could go back and stand on my little pulpit in the port of call and tell you about Jesus. Everyone would want Jesus as their Savior if they could see him. Everybody would want his way of life if they could stand where I am standing now. But we have to walk by faith, not by sight. Now, sweetheart, dear, get in and invest your life in Christ. Everybody is going to invest his life in something. Why not pick the highest and holiest of all? The one that pays off for time and eternity. As I stand here looking at him, I am sorry I only had one life to, to I could invest. I wished I had 100, yay, 1,000. But... If he could use 100, yea 1,000 of you, then it's something of the same, isn't it? Don't let the devil pull you off the track with his lies, his greed, his lust, etc. Remember, he is a liar and he will give you no good thing in exchange for your soul. Some of you I haven't heard from in a long time. I don't know where you are or what you are doing but I have prayed that this letter written to you after I am on the other side will cause you to get straight and keep straight with Jesus. This will be the last letter you will have for me and also the last time you will hear from me until we have that port call reunion on the courthouse steps of heaven. Believe me that's really going to be something. I will be waiting on the banks for you and may God richly bless you and help you make a life for Christ that counts with lots of love. Muzzy, don't miss the road.
0: Let's pray together.